All right, good evening, everyone. Let us, let us begin. So we have the incredible schos tonight to continue in our journey in Sefer Tehillim. And as promised last week, we are moving forward in Yerat Hashem in the journey. And we find ourselves this week in Kapitel Samech Ches, chapter 68 in Tehillim. We thank the Engelsberg, Dinovitzer, and Steinberg families for dedicating tonight's shir, this series, and we hope that in the merit of our Tamatur, the Neshama will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. We also thank David Altshuler for dedicating tonight's shir in honor of his amazing wife, Sarah Bracha. Beautiful, incredible. What a, what a, what a gift and what a, what a beautiful sponsorship. Incredible. Okay, so with that, let us begin. So we are beginning Emirat Hashem tonight, Kapitel Samiches. So we're going to be spending Emirat Hashem a couple of weeks on this Kapitel. What I want to point out is you see, this is, a, this is a pretty long capital, 36 psukim in total. Tonight, we're just going to focus on the first couple of psukim, the first couple of verses. So let's take a look. So also a very interesting formulation over here. To the conductor, Mizmar Shir. Even Mizmar Shir seems to be a little bit redundant. But again, we'll come back to that, Emirat Hashem. What's the theme of the capital? Yakum Elokim Yafutsu Aivav Vianusu Misan of Mipanov. So David Amal says, May God rise, his enemies scatter, and those who hate him flee from before him. Kehindov Ashan. As smoke is driven away, you will drive them away. As wax melts before fire, the wicked will perish from before God. The righteous will rejoice, they will exult, exult before God, and they will delight with joy. One more, Pasuk, Pasuk, hey, Shiru l'alukim zanru shmo, salu l'orochei ba'aravos b'ka shemo v'ilzu l'fanov. Sing to God, sing praises to His name, praise Him, who rides in Aravos by His name and rejoice before Him. So again, once again, what's nice about this capital is what? What's the theme? What's the theme? What would you say? Happy. Happy. And also another word one could use, victorious, right? The theme of this capital is one of victory. David HaMelech is celebrating the victory of good over evil, right? Remember again, he's referring, your enemies are going to scatter. They're going to run away. Just as smoke is driven away, you'll drive them away. Just as wax melts, you will go ahead and decimate the wicked. So there's a beautiful api capital. That whereas Davar Melech so often speaks about persecution and so often speaks about and the affliction and the difficulties that he has suffered at the hands of his enemy, here you have Davar Melech really speaking about victory. The Shiloh, the question of course becomes, what victory is he referring to? Right? One hour is, remember again, as we've seen through our journeys in, in Tehillim, so Tehillim is not just beautiful poetry, but Tehillim often gives us a window into the historical events of David HaMelech's life. So if he's singing about victory, victory over what, victory about what. So here we have an interesting machlokas. The Malbim number three says, he says as follows, Achshov, the Malbim says, I think, now remember again, see the problem in the, sometimes David HaMelech is explicit and he'll tell us, who he's talking about, what event he's referring to or referencing. And sometimes, like in this capital, David Melch is talking about victory over enemies, but yet it's totally nondescript. Which enemies are you referring to? So the Malbim says, I think, Echshov, 
Kinesiaset al Hamon Hamilchamos, Shahayelo in Moab, Plishtim, Aram Tsova, Aram Damesek, the Edom. The Malbim says, I think this capital refers to many of the battles, if not all of the battles that David waged and which, in which he was victorious. Remember again, David HaMelech extended the territorial boundaries of Eretz Yisrael dramatically. Under David HaMelech's rule, so Eretz Yisrael expanded past what is today modern-day Syria. David, right, that, that was the territorial area of Eretz Yisrael. He waged many, many, many battles. So the Malbim says, I think this is a general capital where David HaMelech gives thanks, expresses his gratitude to the Ribbono Olam for all of the victories. Thank you for the victories over Moab, the Plishtim, Aram Tsova, Aram, Damasek, Edom. Thank you for all of the victories. Beautiful. The Radak says something a little bit different. The Radak says, Lamazek Mizmor Ledovich here, Zeha Mizmor Neemar, Al Chel Sancheriv, so amazingly enough, the Radak says, this event, this capital, does not refer to a historical battle. It, refused, it refers to a future battle, a future victory. A reference to what? The battle of, the battle of Sancheirev against Chizkiyo. Remember again, Chizkiyo is a great, great grandson of David HaMelech. We've shared the story of Chizkiyo before, right? The Gemara says, that Chizkiyo could have been the Mashiach. So why didn't he become the Mashiach? We spoke about this, right? right? He, he decided not to marry. He decided not to marry. So when confronted by the Navi Yeshayahu, and remember again, the Navi Yeshayahu tells, comes to visit Chizkiyo. Chizkiyo is very ill. And the Navi Yeshayahu tells him, you're going to die. Chizkiyo says, why am I going to die? He said, because you never married and tried to have a child. You just never tried. To which Chizkiyo says, that's because I saw prophetically that if I were to have a child, he's going to be an incredible Rasha. So Chizkiyo says, Don't get involved in God's business. Let God run his world. You be normal. You know whatever normal means, right? You be normal, right? Do what you're supposed to do. Live a normal life and leave the rest of HaKadosh Baruch Don't try to play God. Don't try to play God. So remember, it's an interesting story because Chizkiyo says, fine, I'm a Kabul the Musar, right? Let me marry your daughter. Yeshayahu had a single daughter. To which Yeshayahu said, I already told you, you're going to die, right? So what's the point of bringing the Shidduch? I already told you, you're going to die. To which Chizkiyo responds that I have a Masor of a tradition from me, base Avi Abba, from my Zayda, reference to David HaMelech. Even if there is a sharp sword resting against the neck of an individual, do not despair, do not give up hope on divine compassion. Sure enough, what occurs? What occurs? Chizkiyo gets better. He marries Yishayahu's daughter and they have a son. That son was named Menasha, The longest reigning monarch in Malchus. He saw reigned for 55 years, was a Russia for 33 of them, was an incredible Balchuba for 22 of them, but did so much damage during the first few decades of his reign that he was unable to reverse the tide. During the days of Chizkiyo, Sancheriv, the king of Ashur, marches on Yerushalayim. There is no way for Chizkiyo to defeat Sancheriv. Absolutely impossible. So again, we're not going to get into the whole story now, but in a dramatic moment, Chizkiyo essentially says, I, I, I give myself over to you. I give myself 
over to you. There's absolutely no way I could be victorious in this circumstance. No way I could overcome this enemy. I give myself over to you. And an incredible miracle occurred, namely that that night when the armies of Sancheirem slept, circling, um, not circling, laying siege to Yushalayim, they were wiped out. Miraculously, a plague of the Navi said the Malach came, wiped out the entire army of Sancheirev overnight. So the Radak says that this particular capital, where David Malach is giving thanks to Akkadish Baruch Hu for overcoming his enemies and for overcoming the enemies of God, this capital is a reference to the victory of Chizkiyahu over Sancheirev. Now, where the Radak sees that or how he knows that it's referring to that, we'll see a Merit Hashem in future Shi'urim. But it was striking to me, it was striking to me that you have like this tension. You have the Malbim saying that David HaMelech is giving thanks for something that occurred historically in the past. And you have the Radak saying that David HaMelech is giving thanks for something that will occur. And the truth is, as we continue to go through Sefer Tehillim, we will find that this is not a rare occurrence. That David HaMelech gives proactive thanks for things that will occur in the future. That part of the greatness of David HaMelech is this profound future vision. And I want to show you something amazing that comes up in this week's parasha that has to do with vision as well. If you turn the page and you take, take a look at number four. So in, in the beginning of Shmos, just to give you a little bit of context, right? Remember again, last week's parasha in Shmos, last week's parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu is conscripted into the service of the Ribbon Shalom. We spoke about this extensively last week. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't want to be the leader, but the Chadash Baruch Hu effectively gives him no choice. So Moshe Rabbeinu assumes the mantle of leadership. And remember, Moshe Rabbeinu is given a script. The Ribbon Shalom, Moshe Rabbeinu is a very scripted leader. He's told what to say, how to say it, when to say it. And in fact, when does Moshe Rabbeinu get in trouble in life? When he goes off script, right? Now, granted, he went off script once, right? He went ahead and he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. He always gave Moshe Rabbeinu very careful instructions. So here in this week's parasha, the beginning of parasha Zve'ira, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives Moshe Rabbeinu the drasha. He gives him the speech. Take a look at number four. Lachain, emor libnei Yisrael ani Hashem. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Moshe, here is what I need you to do. I need you to say these exact words to Klal Yisrael. Tell them, I am Hashem. And what will I do? I will take you out from underneath the burdens of Egypt. I will save you from the work. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Great judgments. I will take you to me as a nation. I'll be to you a God. And you will know that I am God who took you out from underneath the burdens of Egypt. And I will bring you to the land that I have outstretched my hand to give to you. To Avraham, to Yitzchak, and Yaakov, I have given it to you as an inheritance. I am Hashem. Psukim look familiar, right? They look familiar. Why? Because remember again, you'll notice in the underlying lines, Votesi, Vitsalti, Vigaalti, Vilakhti, the four expressions of Gula. Arba Lashono Shal Gula. Remember again, it's corresponding to these four expressions of freedom that we drink Dalakosos. 
that we drink four cups of wine on Pesach. Of course, remember, there is a fifth expression as well, Vehevesi, I'll bring you Tarot Yisrael. That's referred to the fifth coast. The fifth coast we drink in Meretz Hashem during the Messianic era. Some say this is what the coast of Elio is supposed to be symbolic of. The fifth coast for ultimately Vehevesi. So think about this in just a moment. Moshe Rabbeinu is given this most incredibly inspiring drasha. And he's told, tell this to Klal Yisrael. Tell them the four, actually for them it's the five expressions of redemption. So if you're Moshe Rabbeinu, how are you feeling right about now? How are you feeling? Pretty scared. Pretty scared, but I would also say pretty good. Right? Remember again, I don't know if I was getting up giving a drasha and Hashbarah who fed me the drasha, right? He gave me the words, he gave me the drasha. I'd feel pretty confident about that. That one's going to be a home run, right? People are going to like that one if it comes from God. You know, they say the Magid of Mezrich, the Mezrich of Magid, never prepared a drasha. He never prepared a drasha. Whenever he went to speak, he used to clear his mind and said, Ribono shal olam, you put the words into my heart that you want me to share with this assembled olam. Incredible, incredible. There are some people who could do that. So Moshe Rabbeinu, again, pretty much has that. Hashbarach was giving him the speech. Hashbarach was giving him the drasha. So if you're Moshe Rabbeinu, this is incredible. What happens? Look at the end of number four. Moshe Rabbeinu comes. He delivers the drasha. Pasuk says, they didn't listen to Moshe. They didn't, they didn't listen to him. Now the Pasuk says, which literally means shortness of breath. So a profound failure, or at least so it seems. A profound failure. Moshe Rabbeinu again comes armed with this inspirational divine message and Kalal Nisrael does not listen. So the Shaila, the question is, the Pasik tells us, in other words, the Pasik just Pasik could have said, Moshe, and listen to Moshe. Okay, done. But the Pasik doesn't say that. The Pasik says, Shum, they didn't listen to Moshe. Mikotse ruach, shortness of breath, hard work. So there's an incredible machlokus in Mafarshim. What does this mean? So if you look at number five, the Medrash writes, Mikotse ruach, see the Medrash understands ruach here doesn't mean breath. What does ruach refer to? Like Ruchnius. Kotze Ruach means a lack of Ruchnius, a lack of spirituality, or better stated, a lack of belief. Says the Medrash, Sha'osahadar, Mechusare Amuna Hayu. They lacked faith. Vahayu Omrim ki Kotzra Yada Shemehoshia, Vinishabral Ovdeavodazara, Omeavodakashmasha. So the Medrash says, No, do you know what it means? Do you know what it means? They were idolaters. They were idolaters. You know, th- this, by the way, is the big issue. We did not deserve redemption from Egypt. The only reason we were redeemed was, number one, because Chalash Baruch had a duty to, pro- to honor his promise to Avram Avinu. And because Chalash Baruch said, if he didn't redeem us, then we were going to be lost forever. So the Medrash says, you know what? They didn't listen to Moshe. They didn't believe in God. They didn't believe in God. So if you don't believe in God, you could have the most incredible orator, you could have the most dynamic and beautiful and impactful and holy message. If you don't believe, you don't believe. You know, just as an aside, it's always interesting. I've always been fascinated. You know, they have many programs that are run, you know, to prove the existence of God and to prove the authenticity of Torah. And I, and, and I know it works for many people. I've often thought 
that you could only prove so much. At the end of the day, the reason why a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so unique is because you can't prove it. Is because there is no incontestable proof. There is no way to know for sure. That's the power of emuna. What emuna means is, you, you want to ask me how I know there's HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Someone to tell me, prove that there's God. There's a simple answer. What's the simple answer? I can't prove that there's God. But I don't have to prove that there's God. I believe that there's God. And that belief is my proof. That belief is my MS. So here says the Medrash, Kalal Yisrael doesn't have the Amuna. They don't believe it. So, so you, could, you could come out, it doesn't make a difference. You could say whatever you want. If you don't believe, you don't believe. If you don't believe, you don't believe, which is why, just as an aside, how important it is in, the, in Chinuch to teach Amuna and to instill Amuna. Often we're so focused on conveying information. Right? And information is incredibly important because you can't be a functional Jew without information. You have to know what you're doing. But just as important, we just actually had it in Mishnah Yomi today. Right? In fact, the Mishnah Mesechis Bracha says that in Kriyashma, Shema and Viahafta come before Vahayaim Shamoa. Right? Shema and Viahafta, Shema is Kabbalah's Oma Chushan, the acceptance of a relationship with Hashem. Viahafta, relationship with Hashem. Vahayaim Shamoa speaks about the obligation to keep the mitzvos. And the Mishnah says, do you know why the rabbis arranged the section like that? Because remember again, the parshos of Shema, the sections of Shema don't appear in that order in Chumash. Right? They're all over the place. So why did Chazal put these together? Because Chazal understood the prerequisite for mitzvos is a relationship. In other words, I could do mitzvos without a relationship, but often they're hollow. Often they're hollow. First comes Shema Yisrael Echad, cultivation of a relationship. And then mitzvos take on a meaning. First there's emuna, and then vahayayim shamoah. So says the Medrash, they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe in God. They were worshipping Avodah Egypt was a polytheistic society. And we know the Jews were influenced over 210 years of servitude by Egyptian theology. We know this. We know this to the point, by the way, that when Kalal Yisrael was crossing through the Yamsuf, they brought idols with them. Can you imagine such a thing like this? You're walking through the split water. You're walking through a split sea. Right? And uh, I would think, there's no greater proof to the existence of Chesh Baruch Hu than that. And literally, they're bringing idols. They're bringing idols with them. That's how much they were steeped in idolatry. Sefer the Medrash says, it's not a shock that they didn't listen to Moshe. They didn't believe. Rashi, on the other hand, says, number six, no. Rashi says, no, it's different. Rashi says, is Pashat Pshat. Do you know why they didn't listen to Moshe Rabbeinu? Rashi says in number six, Komishu Meitzar, Ruach Vinishimaso, Kitsara Veinu Yachalach Vinishimaso. They couldn't catch their breath. They couldn't catch their breath. They were so broken and so exhausted and so overwhelmed that because they couldn't catch their breath, they just couldn't listen to anything else. These poor people were reduced to beasts of burden. You're coming now with a great message of Gula Fantastic. Sounds great. Love it. Love it, right? You know what I want more than anything right now? I'd like to sleep. Or I'd like to eat. Or I'd like not to be whipped. You know, they, they, Rashi says, they, 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 not that they didn't listen. It's almost as if they couldn't listen to Moshe. They were so overwhelmed by their circumstances that they could not listen. Now comes on the Meshachachma. 
And the Meshach Chachma number seven makes an amazing observation. Kind of a little bit of, of a building on Rashi. But the Meshach Chachma says, look at number seven. For the Shamu Moshe, he says, Perish inyan havali art Yisrael. Listen to this Meshach Chachma. Go back up for just a moment to number four. The Meshach Chachma posits as follows. When it says they weren't able to listen to Moshe, it only refers to one very specific part of the message. The message contained five parts. Says the Meshachachma, Votsesi, I'll take you out of Egypt. That they heard. Okay, great. When you get out of Egypt. Vitsalti, you're going to save us from the work? Incredible. Gaalti, you're going to redeem us with an outstretched hand? Fantastic. Lakakti, we're going to become your nation? Fantastic. When Moshe Rabbeinu gets to Vehevesi, what's Vehevesi? Vehevesi is, I'm going to take you to a land, you're going to govern yourself, and you are going to become a people of destiny. You're going to become, see, what's the difference between a slave, slave and a free person? Right? Because remember, again, we, we speak about this all the time. Because clearly, again, on Pesach, right, we celebrate freedom. It's clear that from a Judaic perspective, what doesn't freedom mean? The ability to do whatever you want, right? Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want, right? Vaharaya, the proof that we have 630 mitzvahs. I cannot do whatever I want. I actually, I probably can't do most of the things that I want to, right? That, so freedom, so right? So freedom doesn't mean carte blanche to live how you want, do what you want, Behave the way you want. That's not what freedom means. What does freedom mean? Freedom means the reins of your destiny are in your hands. You see, a slave has no control over his life. A slave has no control over what is going to occur or unfold over the day. Someone tells him when to wake up. Someone tells him where to go. Someone tells him what to do. Someone tells him how to do it. Someone tells him when the day begins, when the day ends, and then the person tells him when the, a slave has no control over anything. Freedom means I am the master of my ship. I hold the reins of my existence. I am in control, which is why the first national mitzvah that Klal Yisrael receives in next week's parasha is Kiddush HaChodesh, sanctification of the new moon, the calendar. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is vesting us with control over time. I control my life. Now again, you know that when I say that, that comes with the caveat. I control many of the things in my life. There are many things I don't control. But I have control over the person I'm going to become, over the life I'm going to lead, over how I'm going to react to certain circumstances. All of that is within my control. Look at the Meshachach writes. He says, second line. He says, When a person is suffering, says the Meshachach all they have the bandwidth to hear is that my suffering is going to end. If I'm suffering and you tell me, and you tell me the suffering is going to come to an end, okay, I, I, could, I could internalize that message. When I'm suffering, don't talk to me about destiny. 
Don't talk to me that something great is going to occur. Don't talk to me that the future is going to be so glorious, so magnificent, so fantastic. Don't tell me any of that for one simple reason. I can't hear it. I'm not saying it's not true, but I can't hear it. So says the Meshachachma something absolutely amazing. When Moshe Rabbeinu spoke about redemption from slavery, they were all in. Where did he lose them? By expression number five. When he says, Vehevesi, you're going to come to a land of your own. Govern yourself. Self-autonomy. Responsibility. Destiny. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? And by the way, this is an incredible yisod because what the Meshachachim is highlighting over here is that when a person is overwhelmed by their circumstances, they can't see anything beyond those current circumstances. You know, we have a concept like this in halacha. The Gemara says that there are certain times that you're not supposed to try to talk to people, right? What are times you're not supposed to try to talk to people? Number one, right, grief. When a person has just experienced the loss, don't console them. Don't console them. I, I will tell you that it's an amazing thing that the number of times that people say well-meaning things at a shiva home or even like when they're greeting people on greeting those, when they're seeing people at a levaya, you know, and they say well-meaning things and often I'm in the background when these things are said. You ever get that feeling where you just want to hit someone on the back of the head, just say, which I don't, right? But, but people, you know, get, all the time, and it comes from a good place, right? Pe- people want to console. They want to console. Oh, your mother was 80 years old. Oh, she lived such a good life. That's wonderful. That's an excellent life, right? Because at 80, people say, oh, we're done, right? I don't need a mother anymore. Bar Hashem, we're good. Live the long life. Meaning, it comes from a good place. You're trying to highlight, oh, you know what? So Chazal understood this. And Chazal understood that there are times that you shouldn't talk to people because they're in the midst of overwhelming circumstances. That's why the halacha is, when you go to pay a shiva visit, the avel talks first, right? The mourner talks first. And if the mourner doesn't talk, it's awkward, but you just sit there in silence. You sit there in silence. And by the way, you're mekayim, the beautiful chesed of nichum avelim, even if you sit there in silence, because the whole mitzvah is to show up, no one really has like theological pearls of wisdom that take away the pain, right? right? No one has that, that, that one, oh my God, now, now everything makes sense, right? All the cosmic puzzle pieces fit together because Chaim Yankel showed up and said something that he heard on Shir on YouTube, right? So like, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen. And that's like Chazal said, be quiet. Be quiet. When someone has experienced loss, the best thing you could do is silence. When else? When else would you not say something to someone? When they're angry. When they're angry. When a person, the Gemara says, that you should not try to engage a person bishas kaso. You should not try to engage a person when they are angry. Because when a person is angry, often they're not ready to dialogue. And if they are ready to dialogue, oh boy, it's going to be such bad dialogue that it's going to make everything worse. And I want to tell you, you'd be surprised how often relationship problems come about because people don't understand this. You could look at this in the context of any relationship. You look at the context of a marriage. A husband and a wife get into a fight, right? 
And so you know, the husband wants to apologize. Right? I'm outnumbered over here. So good. Husband, right? And, and, and sometimes, sometimes again, the other spouse, the offended spouse, doesn't want to talk. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And then the offending spouse gets upset. What do you mean you don't want to talk about it? I'm here to apologize. Right? It's a heartfelt apology. Mamish is even like you see, it's like something glistening on the corner of my eye. It's Mamish heartfelt apology. And you don't want to talk. And then the person who wants to apologize gets offended because the person doesn't want to talk about the incident. Who accept the apology? You have to accept the fact that sometimes when people are hurt and when they're angry, they don't want to talk. And you have to give them space. Because all of us have probably been in that situation where you've forced a conversation with someone who is not ready to talk and it never goes well. It never goes well. Because when I'm angry, when I'm angry, often all I feel is my anger. All I feel is my anger. So Chazal said, and when you're angry, anger is like blinders. I can't see anything other than my anger. Better not to talk. Anger, grief. Chazal understood that there are times when people are so consumed by their present circumstances that they can't see beyond where they are now into the future. And says in the that's exactly what's happening with Klal Yisrael in this week's parsha. They could hear a message of the ending of slavery. They could absolutely hear that. They could hear that. What they were unable to hear was some grand vision of destiny. And that's where Moshe Rabbeinu lost them. And that's why they weren't ready. And I'll show you something amazing. He said, I didn't put it on your sheet. But Moshe Rabbeinu comes back a second time, right? And he delivers almost the identical same speech with one thing missing. Take a wild guess. Vehevesi. He leaves off Vehevesi. And by the way, the next time around, people are like, oh yeah, great, great, we're in. We're in, we're in, we're in. Incredible. He left off Vevesi because Moshe Rabbeinu realized it's not that they don't want to believe. It's that they can't believe. They didn't hear it. It's like if somebody communicates with you in a foreign language, I hear someone talking, but I have no idea what you're saying. So when Moshe Rabbeinu says Vevesi, they hear the words, but I don't understand the message. I don't understand what it is that you're saying. And so Moshe Rabbeinu alters the message, focuses on the ending of servitude, focuses on getting out of Egypt, and leaves off the destiny speech until later on. But the truth is, if we globalize this a little bit, this is often something I think that many of us contend with, which is becoming so overwhelmed by my current circumstances that I don't see anything bigger beyond what is in front of me right now. And I don't mean even mean if I'm dealing with grief or if I'm dealing with anger. Just sometimes we often get so caught up in what is that we don't see what can be. Think about this for just a moment. Right? If somebody were to stop you and to ask you, what's your life plan? So I think the way most people answer what their life plan is, they're going to tell you what they have to get done this week. Oh, my life plan? Yeah, I have to go here. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have this at work or this at home or this or this. That's my life plan. No, that, that's not your life plan. That's your to-do list, right? That, which is important also. That's not your life plan. 
how many of us really think big and how many of us think beyond our current circumstances to who we want to be, what we want to be, where we want to be. I think a lot about alleviating current difficulties or challenges. So I think about but do we really ever think about Vehevesi? Do we think about what we want our future to look like? And often the answer is no, but not because we don't care, but because like our ancestors in Mitzrayim, we end up getting so caught up in the present that we can't think about any future destiny. So the question is, how do we overcome that? Right? How do we see beyond our current challenges to be able to see that there's something great, even if I don't know what the great thing is, but I think the great tragedy of life is that so often we kind of give up on the Hevesi. We just give up on some bigger life plan, some bigger life aspiration. I'll do nice things. I'm going to lead a good and virtuous life. But I feel so overwhelmed by what's in front of me that I can't think of anything beyond. Okay, so for me, it's not Egyptian servitude. For me, it's just the trials and tribulations of daily life. So how do we overcome that? How do we get past that? How do we get past the current circumstances, the current Egypt, in order to be able to believe and to see a future destiny? So I'll say something amazing. If you take a look at number eight. So the Torah says as follows. So remember, again, this is just a progression of the psukim. So in number eight, this is Perek Vav, Pasek Yud Gimel. So the Pasek says as follows. So just to give you the context, remember again, before when Moshe Rabbeinu was quoting the, four, the five expressions of redemption, that was in Shmos, chapter six, verses six through nine. This is pretty much right afterwards. This is verse 13, same chapter. Hashem speaks to Moshe and to Aaron. He commanded them regarding the Jewish people. So the Pasuk says that Hashem commanded Moshe Rabbeinu something regarding the Jewish people. The only problem is the Pasuk doesn't tell us what. What he commanded Moshe. Well, what, what did he command Moshe? So here again, the Medrash says in number nine, So the Medrash says he commanded Moshe to begin to try to separate the people from idolatry. Remember again, this is a Midrashic approach, that the reason they did not listen to Moshe the first time around was because of idolatry. Now God says to Moshe, listen, you've got to work on the idolatry piece. You have to work on weaning them off of idolatry and connecting them to me. Rashi says something amazing. Hashem commanded Moshe regarding B'nai Yisrael. This is beautiful. Hashem tells Moshe, Patience, patience and tolerance. I know you're frustrated in Moshe because remember again for Moshe Rabbeinu, this was now the second interaction that has gone terribly, right? The first interaction was last week's parasha where Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Paro delivering the message of God and Paro says, you have time to think about freedom, more work. And now this time, second time, Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to the Jewish people on behalf of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they don't even listen. So according to Rashi, Hashem commands Moshe regarding Bnei Yisrael, be patient with them. They're good people. They're just a little difficult. They're good people. They just take a little bit of time to come around. But be patient, be patient, and they will make you proud. But perhaps there's something even simpler. Bashant of HaKadosh says something so beautiful. 
He says, Moshe, you know what? I want you to go back to Klal Yisrael and I want you to tell them one simple message. It's going to be okay. That's the message. Maybe four expressions, five expressions of redemption is too complicated. Maybe they're just not in a place to be able to hear that. So Moshe, go back, go back and tell them now a new simple message. It's going to be okay. That's the Baal Shem Tov said. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So what does that mean? And can you imagine Moshe Rabbeinu going back to Kalal Yisrael saying it's going to be okay? Ah, Shkayach, thank you. We feel much better. It's going to, Moshe said it's going to be okay. What's the Pshat? What is the Baal Shem Tov trying to convey? So I have to share with you something amazing and then we'll tie everything together. Rabbi Tursky, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tursky, told an amazing story. And it's interesting, you know, Rabbi Tursky was known for his incredibly, you know, like revolutionary and groundbreaking work with the 12-step program and in the world of addictions. And it's interesting because Rabbi Tursky writes, I've seen this quote a couple of places, that often when he himself was looking for chizuk, was looking for chizuk, he would go to uh, an AA meeting, right? Or, or some type of 12-step meeting, you know, in order to get chizuk. I'll tell you that um, I... I Never understood that I, I actually attended. I had someone who I knew who was celebrating a certain duration of sobriety. And he invited me to come to his one year anniversary of sobriety at his, uh, at his particular AA meeting. So I, I went, I went. And I will tell you that it's an overwhelming thing to be in a room with people who are brave enough to acknowledge and battle their demons and are willing to get up and in front of everyone, explain their challenge, articulate their challenge. Some of them, and it's an amazing thing. In the beginning of the meeting, they call out who's been sober for a year. They give you a pin, six months, five months, one day, one day. It's an incredible thing. So Rytorsky writes that he one time attended a meeting. It's a longer story. I'm just going to tell you one part of it. He said as follows. He said, he said like this. He said, a young woman was speaking, describing the, this AA meeting he went to. I've heard, he was speaking and I've heard that story a hundred thousand times. He's describing it. When she was young, she started using alcohol. Then she started with marijuana and other drugs and her lifestyle deteriorated and she fell into terrible ways. And then when she was 26 or 27 years old, someone brought her into the recovery program. Now she's sober and things are good and getting better. Rabbi Tursky writes, that story didn't do anything for me. I've heard it a thousand times. Then she said, before I leave, I have to tell you one more thing. I'm a football fan. And the New York Jets, that's my team. I will never miss a New York Jets football game. Well, one weekend I had to be out of town, but I didn't want to miss the game. So I asked my friend to record the game on her VCR. So first of all, if you're under 30, you probably don't know what that means. Okay, you'll, you'll Google it. You'll Google it. It's an old machine from the Stone Age. You used to put a cassette in, push it down. Good. So she said, it's a dated story. So I asked my friend to record the game on her VCR. When I came back, I went to pick up the tape. And as she handed me the VCR tape, she told me, oh, by the way, the Jets won. Okay. So I got home. I put in the tape and started watching. And oh, I couldn't believe it. The Jets were getting mauled. They were playing horribly. By halftime, they're 20 points behind. Under other circumstances, I would have been a nervous wreck. 
I would have been pacing the floor. I would have been hitting the fridge. This time I sat there perfectly calm. I knew they were going to win. She said, ever since I came into this program and I turned my life over to the will of God, I know it's going to turn out all right. Sometimes I'm 20 points behind at halftime, but I know it's going to turn out all right. And Robert Torsky writes, this is a lesson that applies to all of us. How many times are we stuck in a situation where nothing seems to be going well? It is then that we should apply the same rule. If we turn our lives over to God, we know that it's going to turn out all right. I'm in good hands. He's not going to walk out on me now, somehow or other. How? I don't know. I don't understand. But somehow or other, the end is going to be good. Says the Baal Shem Tabakadosh Moshe, we have to reframe the message. You need to go back. You just need to tell the people a simple message. Somehow, some way, it's going to be good. This is not the end of the road here. Your story doesn't end in the tar pits of Egypt. Your story does not end as slaves, as beasts of burden. This is not the end. I know the end, Moshe says. I know. But you're not ready to hear the end yet. You're not ready to hear the real story. But what you are ready to hear is that it's going to be okay. Everything at the end of the day will turn out okay. You know, we say this in Nishmas. In Nishmas Kolchai, we say a beautiful phrase. We say, We thank Hashem for all of the incredible things He's done for us. You took us out of Egypt. You redeemed us from the house of servitude. You've taken care of us in famine. You fed us in times of plenty. You saved us from the sword, from pestilence, from soldiers. You never leave us. You never leave us. The most powerful message that we need to inculcate within ourselves during times of turbulence and during times of difficulty is, I know it's going to be okay. Now again, okay doesn't mean that it's going to turn out the way you want it to. And okay doesn't mean that things go back to normal. And okay doesn't mean that everything follows my plan. But somehow or another, I know it is going to be okay. And Sa'akadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Abinu something amazing. Klal Yisrael is stuck. They're stuck. They can't see Vehevesi. They can't see destiny. And do you know why? Because they don't actually believe that it's going to be okay. And if you don't believe that it's going to be okay then of course you can't see anything in your future. So Moshe Rabbeinu comes back. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe, go back. Vayitzavim al b'nei Yisrael. Leave out. Vahotzeisi v'itzalti v'gaalti v'lakachti v'heveisi. And just give them a simple message. It is going to be okay. And if you believe that, if you believe it's going to be okay, then you could begin to see that indeed there is a beautiful future ahead of me. Maybe I'm not ready to talk about that future. Maybe I'm not ready to hear that future described. Maybe I'm not even ready to start thinking about that future. But at least I could believe that future. We all experience times of crisis. And it's normal when there's a moment of crisis 
to feel like the sky is falling. And sometimes there are moments of acute crisis where the sky really does feel like it's falling. But in those moments, what my emuna demands of me is to say those words, I know it's going to be okay. The Ribbono Shal Olam is by my side. I go through nothing alone. It doesn't mean the road ahead is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that suddenly the clouds are going to part, the sun's going to come out and the birds are going to start chirping. There may be difficulty, there may be adversity, there may be challenge. But I believe that it is all going to be okay. And I'll even mention how incredibly important this is with the chinuch of our children as well. Because it is so important to build resilient children. Right? We all know, every parent has had this experience where your child goes ahead and comes home, right? And his mom is falling apart about something. And you think, who, who knows what happened? And then they tell you what happened, right? And as a parent, you're thinking to yourself, really? This is what you're crying about, right? This, this is it. But again, you have to validate and you have to be there. But it's such a teachable moment to say, I understand, Shafla, I understand why it's so difficult. I understand why it's overwhelming. But it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That is at the core of the amuna of a Jew. It is going to be okay. Because if I don't believe that, I lose myself in my current circumstances. If I don't believe it's going to be okay, then, But if I believe somehow, some way, that it's going to be okay, then not only could I see myself navigating out of this current difficulty, but I can even see that there's a beautiful future ahead of me as well. And perhaps, tying it all together, that's what David HaMelech is referring to in this capital as well, to bring this full circle. Remember again, the Malbim says, the Malbim says that this capital refers to what? This capital refers to the, the success or the victory over Sancheirev. Why is David HaMelech talking about future victories? Because part, a dominant theme in Sefer Tehillim is a constant reinforcing, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You'll get through this, and even once you get through this, there's a beautiful future waiting ahead of you. So when the Malbim says it's referring to Sancheirev, maybe it's referring to Sancheirev, maybe it's not referring to Sancheirev. I think the point that the Malbim is trying to make is David HaMalach is saying, there's great stuff to sing about in the future. In the future, is going to be great stuff. What is David HaMalach trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us to be future-oriented people. He's trying to tell us to be people of destiny. He's trying to tell us to think big, to live big, to accomplish big, to dream big, to not settle for mediocrity, to think about how we can maximize our life and our circumstances. And the way to do that is to believe you have a destiny. So David Amalek sings about future success because future success is in the cards for each of us. But in order to believe in future success... You have to first navigate your way out of your current difficulties. And the only way to navigate your way out of the current, current difficulties is to believe, like the Baal Shem Tavakadosh said, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And what an incredible lesson for us. Because I think many of us face situations that we feel are just profoundly overwhelming. And we feel like this maybe is like the end of the road. You know, I, I don't know how I'm ever going to get past this. And a lot of times in life, we face circumstances for which there is not a plan. 
right? But even if you don't have a plan, I still have to have the belief. And it's the twofold belief. Step one, it's going to be okay. Why is it going to be okay? Just open up nishmas. You know, people, what do people say nishmas like 50 times a day? It's a school for something, right? So, so I will tell you, you don't have to say nishmas 50 times a day. You can say nishmas once a day or once every other day or even once a week. Just pay attention to what you're saying and learn from it. There's no great trap in repeating things over and over and over if it doesn't, if you don't know what you're talking about, right? So say it once, but say it with kavana. Understand the words. In nishmas, the most powerful thing we say is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's going to be okay. Because you told us it's going to be okay. Because every step of the way, you're always with us. And step one, I believe, it's going to be okay. And that becomes a mantra. It's the kind of thing that we have to say to ourselves over and over and over. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And by the way, after you keep saying it for a while, something amazing happens, which is you actually begin to believe it. And you actually begin to see that things begin to come, become okay once you begin to change your mindset. And once you begin to change that mindset, then you could see past your current circumstances and see that the future indeed holds so much bracha, so much potential, so much opportunity. The message of the young girl in AA, the message of Rabbi Tversky, the message of the Basham Tavakadosh, the message of Moshe Rabbeinu to Klal Yisrael, and the message of David Amalek to us and Sefer Tehillim. All right, to stop over here for tonight. Mir Hashem will continue in Kapitel Sameches. We'll spend one more week on Sameches, Mir Hashem. Wishing everyone a wonderful evening.